began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. You who have ears to hear, let him hear. The Nobel Prize winner in the year 1944 was a man by the name of Isidore Now, I realize you've probably never heard that name, and you probably could care less. But if you've ever needed an MRI, you appreciate him. Because that's what his work consisted of, the discovery of nuclear magnetic resonance, which allows us to have MRIs today. He was once asked by a friend how he became a scientist. And he replied that every day after school, his mother would talk to him about how his day went. And he said she never was so concerned about what he had learned that day. Rather, she always inquired of him, did you ask a good question today? The Nobel Prize winner said, asking good questions. out there, remember his words when you answer your child's question for the umpteenth time, especially if you have a four-year-old. I read recently that the average four-year-old asks 437 questions a day. Now, if they're awake 10 hours, that's more than 43 questions per hour. And I was telling someone that, a young lady who has a four-year-old little daughter, and she said, well, I that will taper off, but hey, maybe you'll have a reason for that. Well, our Nobel Prize winner wasn't the only one asking good questions. Jesus asked more than 300 questions in the Gospels. And it's obviously one of his favorite forms of communication. As one person put it, questions and parables are two of Jesus' favorite methods. 
both of those methods have in common that they are not direct answers. They are asking the listener to participate in the process of understanding with the notion that information is not the goal so much as transformation is. And, of course, we're talking about questions because we can see what I count as six questions from Jesus in the first three verses of our text because we're told that Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist saying, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Think about the wilderness. That's where these people were going to see John. There's no fast food in the wilderness. There's no comfortable furniture. You have to have a reason to go to the wilderness. A a reed shaken by the wind is so common in that part of the world, especially on the bank of the Jordan River where John preached. But not only is John uncommon, he's not easily swayed like those reeds in the wind. John's preaching was fearless. He didn't worry about what people thought of his message, as is confirmed by the fact that as Jesus speaks these words, he's in prison, John is, because of what he had to say to them. And John didn't worry about what he looked like. Matthew and Mark in their Gospels tell us that John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. In other words, in many ways, he was the consummate Old Testament prophet. If people wanted to see someone soft and refined, they didn't go out to listen to John. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Notice that Jesus' question begins with the word what? not with the word whom. As someone said, this means that Jesus is not calling attention to John the man so much as he is to John's office. And you see, that's what the part of the appeal was about John the Baptist. There hadn't been a, a, a prophet, a bona fide prophet in Israel for more than 400 years. We typically believe Malachi to have been the last prophet who served, and he ministered sometime around 450 B.C. So there had been this great period of silence for hundreds of years where the people of Israel had not heard from God at all. And that's one reason the people were flocking to him. Another reason is because he had the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life even from his mother's womb, as the angel proclaims in Luke 1. And it's easy to see that John was like the Old Testament prophets before him, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Malachi, in that he was a spokesman for God. And he was calling the nation to repentance and declaring God's purpose in salvation through the coming of the Messiah. 
Jesus tells us in the text that John is even greater than the Baptist. For he said, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Then Jesus adds, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no more than any prophet before him because he was one about whom a prophecy had been given, much like the Messiah himself. He was the one who would announce the arrival of the Messiah, and as one person put it, announce the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. Through that last prophet, Malachi, God had said, I send my messenger to prepare messenger, which means that this is one of the places in the New Testament where Jesus clearly implies that he is divine. He and God are one. God is coming to his creation through his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is why John is so important, because he was, as one scholar put it, the link between God's saving activity back in the Old Testament and His saving activity in the gift of the Messiah. And John was a great prophet. It's obvious to see. No one has arisen greater than Him. But John was like you and me. You know, he had his problems. He had his challenges. He had his doubts. If we had started our text at the beginning of this chapter, we would have read where John sent some of his disciples to Jesus, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? John had some questions about Jesus. Jesus didn't always act and speak. caused him to wonder. And maybe you have some of those thoughts and doubts as well about who Jesus really was and who he is today. In his little chapter on faith in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the importance of faith in our daily lives as Christian people. He says that once we decide that the weight of evidence is for the Christian faith, he knows exactly what will happen at some point in the life of that person of faith. He says there will come a moment when there is bad news, or he's in trouble, or he's living among a lot of other people who do not believe it, and all at once his emotions will rise up and carry out a sort of goes on to say that faith is the art of holding on to things and reason that becomes deceptive in spite of our determined conviction. I personally prefer how G.K. Chesterton puts the 
one person put it, Jesus declares John's greatness despite his doubts and questions. He declares all of that for our benefit. In other words, we can see here that Jesus is patient with all of those who take their doubts, their lack of faith to Him. He has compassion on us and only desires that we we come to Him for help. We can see that in how Jesus treats John here in this text. But it's a common occurrence in Scripture. If you want another example, think of the epileptic boy who was healed right after Jesus was transfigured. Remember, Jesus is up there on that mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured before them. And as they come back down the mountain, there's a commotion going on. And Jesus finds out that there's a man there with an epileptic boy, and he comes up to Jesus and says, Your disciples weren't able to heal. And then he says to Jesus, But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And then we're told that the father cried out, I believe, help Help my unbelief. He's not an unbeliever. We believe in what we what we can believe spoken into the same And we're told there that Jesus healed the boy. And you know, we see that kind of compassion repeatedly in Scripture. And you and I can see it in our life. But even though Jesus says these great things about John and his greatness in the history of the church, he then makes a striking statement. He says the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John. And if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah to come. And in these words, we can see the great change that the the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven initiates into human history. As one scholar put it, that blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a line that divides time. And this is what we need to see here in Jesus' comments, this issue of the time period in which we live. When he says that the least in the kingdom is greater than John, he's not talking about John's character. He's not talking about what he accomplished or didn't accomplish in preparing his way as the Messiah. The point is that John was killed by Herod before Jesus' crucifixion. John is one of the last of the old covenant believers that we can read about in Scripture who died before the good news of Easter. So we can see that he belongs 
to the old covenant, since Jesus mediates a new covenant, as Hebrews 9 makes clear. This is why in verse 13, or partially why, that Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. You see, the Old Testament prophets, including John and even the law itself, proclaimed the coming of God's favor and grace in Jesus Christ. As one commentator put it, the law calls for Christ by asking a simple question. If this is God's standard, this law, and no one can meet it, how can anyone be right with God? And then he says, the law gives us a picture that points us into Jesus. In other words, the law leads us to Jesus, as Paul makes clear in Galatians 3. And just like the law leads us to Jesus, so does John. Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah. Once again, going back to the prophet Malachi, in his third chapter, he said, I will send my messenger to prepare the way, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. Then in his fourth chapter, Malachi proclaimed that God would send a second Elijah to prepare for a great restoration. And through this one sent, he would turn many hearts back to himself. Jesus says that John is this man's fulfillment. If you're willing to accept it. Let's just talk about the fulfillment quickly. One is Jesus Those words speak to our responsibility and how we perceive Christ and how we either accept or reject the unfolding of God's plan. We do have a responsibility. Even though we're saved by grace through faith, we are not robots. We must respond in faith and get on board with what God is doing by His power in our lives throughout this world. The second thing to mention is this notion of the coming of the Messiah. This is Malachi's good news, and and this is John's purpose. As the angel told John's father, Zechariah, words we can read in Luke chapter 1, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared John came precisely to prepare God's people for the coming of Jesus and this is what the season of Advent is all about is that Advent is sort of like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper of the 
that you are able to give backwards and forwards at the same time. Because the coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, but also his coming once again to judge and especially on this first Sunday in the season of Advent, the message we should hear is that we need to fulfill what John called the people of his day and time to do, to prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus has come and is coming. Are you ready to receive him? Does your life testify to that good news and to his rule in your heart? Advent calls you and me to repent. sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once and then after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. How? Not to deal with sin. He's already done that. But to save See, that's the good news of the gospel. 